Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today, sliding into the hot seat with far less style and panache than Claudio Ranieri did at the weekend. But in a time of new faces, I have some very familiar ones joining me today, each with their own Claudio aspect. The always well-dressed Farrell Monk. Buongiorno. Our very own bespectacled professor, Ben Jarman. I like that. Good evening. And nifty as ever with a turn of phrase, Domini Betts. Hello, hello. So the Italian era got off to the best possible start of the weekend with an important and confidence-boosting three points against relegation rival Southampton. Farrell, would you like to start us off with some of the three-word reviews that we came in? I would love to. Uh, I'll start off with Daniel, at Daniel, with some lots of numbers afterwards. Um, the Claudio Raniera, which I quite liked. Yeah, I thought that was clever. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Colm Bolger, big fan. Um, Mitrofires Hughes. And finally, this is definitely our favourite, with uh, Lewis Henderson, at Henderson FFC, on Claudio 9. Good, very, very good. So things started correctly for Fulham, but just before we start correctly and look into the thing, we just have to remind you that Fulhamish is back this season by Labricks for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Let's get on with the game. Dom, a bad start, which we're used to. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of like, okay, new manager, same shit. I mean, that's what I I thought when, when they scored quite early on. I mean, it was one of the two goals I saw, so... You know, That's one a season one. high record. Here, isn't it? <laughs> no, forty yeah, percent's pretty good. I didn't think. We, yeah, I didn't think we started. I didn't start necessarily bad. It was just the defense again looked quite frail. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think you know we've never really seen Fulham start blisteringly, and I think it, they've only had a few days on the Ranieri realistically. So you thought, okay, is it going to be the same old? But I don't think I've seen us fight back from going a goal down like that at all this season. So that was great to see. Yeah, I was going to say it's a great it's a great equaliser, but maybe more importantly than that, Ben, it's a great attitude to get there. Yeah, it showed real fight, which is something we haven't displayed throughout this season to date at all. Um, there are games where we've played like Huddersfield, where we've sort of let in a goal and then sort of rolled over with a bit of a whimper and just let the other team walk all over us for for want of a better phrase. And this game this weekend showed what Ranieri will bring to us it will, he'll bring spirit he'll bring bring fights he'll bring some sort of organization but most importantly I think he'll make us more threatening when we do have the ball when we actually have it we've got the ball on the deck for that goal Farrell, and it's actually a really nice sequence of passing that leads to Le Marchand being released down the left he makes up so much ground there's, yeah. a, there's a picture on Twitter obviously of the the distance Le Marchand covers before he swings that cross in and it's something else yeah it's, uh, dare I say it very Sessegnon-esque uh, run he made there to, to get there because it, it appeared at the time that when Kearney played that ball out wide I, I was I was entirely sure who he was passing to and Le Marchand not only managed to get there get it under control and ping a lovely little cross in and also the movement by Mitro to sort of peel back to reach that uh, to reach that and get his, get his nut on it and direct it towards the bottom corner was Nothing short of sensational. There was plenty about the game that Fulham didn't have control, but you know, after Southampton scored in the first half, Fulham did seem to get their foot on it a little bit more and, and start to control the game a touch. Yeah, I thought maybe they're not really they weren't concentrating, but I thought it, it totally switched their mindset on the game and obviously they knew that it was a must win game 
and even obviously if you look at them results that would happen this weekend if we didn't come away with three points it'd be even further adrift than usual because I know we may have won the game still but on thanks to Wolves basically not turning up at all yesterday yeah, um, we'll but yeah it was it was it was vital that we got off to a win and Ranieri I think he's done it was a six out of a seven jobs that he started up yeah. started with a win so I think I think we just saw a lot of fight and that was the that's, that's what we wanted to see we wanted to Although the result was important, it was important for us to see a totally different type of performance. I mean, 37% possession at home. I don't remember the last time we would have seen stats like that. Yeah, but me and Jack were talking about this. It probably hasn't been for the best part of three or four years where we've won or had that amount of possession at home. Yeah, yeah. and I think we mentioned it on, we mentioned it on full time. We were a lot more, not necessarily dark, but we just the possession we had, we did a lot with it, whereas yeah. it wasn't just tippy-tapper rubbish. Is it? <laughs> I, 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 what we, hate that <laughs> What what we were doing really really well, which we haven't seen for a little for a little while, is the amount of times. Well, when we did get the ball, we recycled a lot quicker. There was a more, a lot more sort of one and two touch, and it was a lot more forward as well. We were punishing Southampton on the break much better than we have against well any other team we have done this year. When we were getting the ball, we were getting it quicker, and like you quite rightly said, it wasn't just completely direct. We were just exploiting those gaps that we weren't doing before, and there was much less of. Well, we get it for we're getting into a nice position and we're going to turn back and try and retain possession. We are now actually trying to get, make goal scoring opportunities. It was possession with a purpose, wasn't it? Which yeah. is something that we haven't seen from the team this season, I don't think, at the very least. Or if, if we have, at the very least, it's against Burnley. But we talked about this in, at times last season where it just seems to be possession for possession's sake and not really opening anything up. And on Saturday, we saw that when we had possession, we'd done something with it. We showed real intent. We showed real purpose to get in behind Southampton. And at times, we did lull them into a few mistakes and we exploited them well, which I think it will become a blueprint for us going forward. We'll be more clever. Just minutes after Fulham equalised, we took the lead on the, almost on the stroke of half-time, really, with a, a wonderful ball from Ryan Sessegnon. That's maybe what we haven't seen enough from him so far this season. Yeah, completely. It's uh, something that Sessegnon needs, needed to add to his game. But obviously, playing left-back kind of restricts you. Uh, the thing that amazed me is when I watched it back on the highlights at half-time is that the angle that that ball comes in from, from the naked eye in the stands where I was in the Johnny Haynes, it looked like it was just a flat ball across the back four that Sherlock came into at the near post. But actually, the angle of that cross is at almost 45 degrees. It's unreal. And for him to even put that ball in without knowing that Charles is in there, because he doesn't look up and wrap his foot around it, it's just unbelievable technique. It's such a good, such a good um, passage of play and a great finish. It's a beautiful ball that completely kills four defenders yeah. and managed to find a guy that's 50 yards away who's running in. And it it's perfect because the keeper ain't getting anywhere near it the defenders ain't getting anywhere near it the only person it's going to find is the is Scherler's right boot which thankfully hit the ball and went into the back of the net also I think something isn't necessarily got to notice but Sessignon's touch to bring that ball down yeah yeah, is, perfect. is ridiculous and then obviously beats, beats Cedric on, on going yeah. out away from him yeah. and then pings it across and talking about Scherler obviously scoring a goal I thought he was a lot less wasteful on the weekend I didn't think he was yeah. just trying to ping one in from 30 yards every time he got the ball I thought he was trying to recycle possession a lot more the thing that annoyed me about Scherler was that he's he just cannot play the ball simply there's a break that we had when Tom Kearney fed the ball outside to, to the right wing spot and Scherler was there. And you could see Mitro bursting through the middle. Instead of just placing the ball on the deck and letting the wet turf do its job, he clips it into the air and Mitrovic has to like take it down with his left foot, get it out and then try and stab it home. And that was the one where uh, McCarthy just, yeah. just pushed yeah. it wide. If he hadn't have clipped that, 
it could have quite easily been a goal. Oh yeah, he wasn't he wasn't making the most intelligent moves, but I thought he was trying to play more into the team than trying mm. to score every time he had the ball from within twenty five yards out. Yeah. I'm gonna compliment Andre Scherler because uh, for one and only time in this podcast, um, because to read the fact that Sessegnon was going to play that ball is exceptionally yeah. you know w- you know well done in terms of how he looks at the pitch and goes, okay, I think I know what's going to happen because. We weren't expecting that, and we've got a far broader view of, of what's going on. Than, and, and I don't think anyone was expecting that ball to sort of fly across the box apart from Andre Scherler. So that is right place at the right time, and it's that knack. But that said, Adam pointed this out the other day, AF, who, who is part of this pod and, and does quite a lot of our graphics and all that. He said that Scherler ha- didn't com- contribute anything to the game apart from factually, statistically. Didn't produce anything else for the game. No key passes, yep. no you know, no uh, shots on goal, nothing. He didn't. He had he, one defensive action. One, one defensive, defensive action, action, and I think he completed one of his five dribbles. Yeah, that was it. That's not good enough for someone that's going to play as a you know. And I appreciate what you're saying about his work rate was better, and I thought his tracking back was better. Although I still think it left something to be desired. Bit, yeah. But I, I think that. If you're going to offer something in that right wing zone, you need to offer more than what he did. I I, I totally get that, and you know they, they talk about those defensive um, actions. You know that's tackles and interceptions and and whatnot. What I do think, if there was if there was one saving grace, was the fact that positionally not as good as he could be, but better. there's just better. And I think that when you have one real weak link in a defensive sort of bank of like four and five, as we now see in modern day football, rather opposed two banks of four, was the fact that he's there in the first place is actually a pretty good thing. And we know we're not, we're now, now we're seeing a more defensively minded Fulham and everyone needs to chip in. And it's not just putting tackles in and making interceptions, it's actually just getting the that structure right. And I think I, he did that a lot better. I don't know if that's the case though, because you can just be there at any point. You can have any player filling a gap. It's just whether he does a good job there. And you could see this weekend, Matt Target was the third or fourth most creative player in the whole of the Premier League. He created five chances. And that was just purely from that right hand side um, of Mitrovic, of of Sherla and Christie. Sorry, I don't think Sherla gave anywhere near enough uh, of a sort of any anywhere near enough help to Christie whatsoever. Do you, th- do you think Redman it's better? Kind of ran riot. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, Nathan Nathan Redman had a freedom of Craven Cottage. And, basically, and, you know, you, there's one thing putting to you know he went one on one with Christie a lot of the time, and, and there's only so much you can do in those situations when a player is is talented, isn't it? Yeah, Redman. I thought Christie. I, th- I thought Christie was better, but again, he backs off a bit too much for my liking. Well, he's going to worry. We worry about Eden Hazard. Well, yeah, week, exactly. We'll come on to Chelsea later. Um, there, there is something to be said though that his Sherla's positional map. You look at Sess's one for Lamar Chand, and they're very, very tight mm. to each other. Whereas the one between Sherla and Christie is far, far broader in terms of of gap, and that does concern me slightly going into a game like Chelsea. But Dom said it on full time: Ranieri won't approach the two games the same. Well, no, he, he, he also, he's always going to adapt his team to a team of playing, which I think any manager should do. And what Slab was sort of. Seemed that he wasn't doing it at all. He just stick to his system. A bit like what Mauricio Sarri and how he got found out against Spurs because they just took Jorginho out of the game. And I think, so what I think is important is, yeah, he's not going to play the same team or in the same system every week. So next week, Scherler might not play him. Luciano Vieto might play. Even Aite Cabana could start because maybe he thinks they offer something more defensively because obviously they're both back in the squad. So for me, Scherler, I mean, he got the goal and for me, that's the most important thing. I know he didn't, he didn't contribute as much 
anything defensively or much more going forward. But if he gets the goal, he gets the goal. And what him and Mitrovic now got 12 between them, I think it's in like the top five or top six partnerships. I know that's probably 12 or 14 goals, but it shows there is a partnership there. And it means they are both able to score goals. And at the moment, down at the bottom, it is more about scoring goals and trying to keep a clean sheet for me. Yeah, well, it doesn't look like a clean sheet is coming anytime soon. So, you know, we can keep the old McDonald's on ice as, as such for now. Um, let's move into the second half. Obviously, they levelled it up quite soon into that second half with a wonderful strike from Stuart Armstrong. You ben, probably I know celebrated that, didn't you? I didn't celebrate it. No, thank, <laughs> you. thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Ben, ben, you, I think you had something to say about about Seri's defensive contribution at this point. Well, it's terrible. There's no, there's nothing short of absolutely disgusting, really. The the ball gets knocked down fairly inconspicuously, and he just sort of watches it. He sort of t- opens his body up as if he's going to do something, and then just doesn't do anything whatsoever. And could have closed the ball down on on a couple of occasions before. Armstrong hits that absolute perler into the back of the net and you won't see many finishes better than that I don't think this season especially at the velocity that it goes Sergio Rico has got no chance whatsoever but on the whole Seri at times really did need to put a foot in and he just he would be reluctant to do so I think we saw the best in Seri when he had the ball and we saw definitely the worst aspect of his game without the ball in this game alone Do you think Cesc can do better with heading the ball away? I do think that. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a misguided header. I, th- I think I know what he's trying to do, but the ex- execution was really poor. He kind of just heads it back into the danger zone, if if anything. And, you know, I, I did well to it, get there to start off with, but it's not a great header. Let's just talk about, go back to Sarri for a second. There was something on Twitter, I think it was Mike Gregg that posted it, MJG, who said that his you know, ability to sort of spoke to his, speak to his teammates and lift them, and he was constantly speaking to everyone and organising in the second half, Maybe that's something that we haven't maybe appreciated as much in, in recent weeks and something that maybe wasn't so apparent under Jokanovic. Maybe Ranieri has, has tasked him with kind of being a leader in that midfield trio. Yeah, and I also think he's building the part, a part. He, there is a partnership to be built there with Callum Chambers. It was his first time he would play them because he didn't start against Liverpool, no, he did he? So, yeah. And I think Callum Chambers is, is doing the anchor man role really well until he has to sort of do something with the ball. And then, but I think yeah, those those two can only learn off each other because from what I've seen, Callum Chambers looks the best anchor man we can play in a four-two-three-one system. Because Anguissa again is a box-to-box midfielder. McDonald doesn't necessarily the mobility. I think Chambers has got more more sort of pace to him and a bit more mobility. So I think it's a partnership that we can build on. And we just we know Sarri's got the talent there. We saw we saw it against Burnley. We saw it against Brighton. We saw it in in stages and other other parts of the season. So I think it's all about. In this team now, you know, Ranieri, he's, I know he's known as Tinkerman, but when he's been successful, it's through, through continuity. And I think that's where it's only going to grow in the midfield. And, you know, we saw parts, but yeah, Seri still needs to sort of pull his weight a bit more defensively. I think we're still trying to find out the best way to play Seri because we, at times, are playing him very, very deep. And it means that his creativity is sort of limited. And the fact that all the teams can set up in front of him and it just sort of like, okay, you try and pick a pass and it, it doesn't really work. But I think if there is anyone to try and get the best out of him, it probably is going to be Ranieri because he played him twice last year, if not, and twice Seri absolutely destroyed them. So I think he'll probably end up getting the best out of Seri. It may be a case that he needs to change positions, but I can't see him swapping with TC anytime soon after that second half. He didn't play as a 10, though, for, for Nice. He played deeper than that. He played more as an eight rather than a six. Exactly. So uh, I think, you know, if we have a six, an eight and a ten in that midfield, which is the, you know, proverbial ideal, mm. he should be able to make this work if, if Callum Chambers is willing to make, you know, willing to put in those tackles as a pure six. 
I think if you are going to do that, it relies a lot on the, the wing bats coming in a lot yeah. to provide yeah. the cover in around Callum Chambers. Otherwise, Callum Chambers has got a lot of area to. And that was the problem where we had McDonald just sat there because you yeah. can't cover yeah. it. Yeah, and we we said that McDonald's useless if he enters your position off. Like <laughs> he in, in the Premier League against teams who's got rapid pace, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Arsenal, we need to sort of just not leave our half. And I think if we want Sarri to play more forward, it does rely on our wing us being more inverted in stages as well. Yeah. And I'm not saying like Christie and Lamarchon can't do that, but we also wanted them to be overlapping. So it's sort of finding the... Well, maybe the that's... It kind of just sounds like a nav thing, wasn't well, it? Well, I was going to say, it was, you're basically <laughs> yeah, describing just week. as an update on our midfield from midfield three from last year. You know, that's where we were really, really successful. I, you know, we had a six, we had an eight and a 10. You know, McDonald, Johansson and, um, and Kearney. And now we've just basically got better versions of them or with a bit more confidence with Seri, Chambers and Kearney again. I want to come on to Fulham's style kind of after the break and, and when we have you know depth to discuss it in, in, in detail. But just to close off the game, obviously we, we scored, which was which was good. Hooray. Yeah, exactly. Yay. Um, but it was it was actually a very good goal, a left wing cross from Cyrus that's flicked on by Cessnion and some really, really nice improvised finishing from Mitrovic. Yeah, I, I mean, when I saw it first time round live, I thought he hit it with his left foot because it was just so kind of taken by surprise. I had to watch the replay to realise he actually it wasn't that unorthodox right-footed yeah, I volley. He sort of scuffed it when I when I watched it live. I was like, does he just swag, swang a leg at it? And it, it was, it's actually a very good pinpoint finish. And he doesn't know that ball's going to drop to him because he sees Cyrus whipping a ball in. He assumes it might be coming over to him, but then obviously he sees it coming to Cess and he adjusts his body shape really well then get his right foot across and ping it into the bottom corner. Well, that I just, body shape I, is is just world class because I haven't seen anyone adjust their body like that and, and in that shape with the arms down by the side, sort of like palms directing the ball as opposed to the feet since Robin Van Persie hit that mm. volley for Manchester United against Aston Villa. Also that volley he hit against Everton where the ball comes over his shoulder. I haven't seen anyone adjust their body that quickly and hit it that well. I think it's such an underrated finish, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. A lot of people saying today that it was a scuff, and I was like, "There's what? absolutely no, no way right, that that is sure. anything but a very precise finish." I think it just people think it's a scuff because of the unorthodox sort of body shape to it. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I've got to point out that Southampton's defending for that goal is absolutely dreadful. It's dreadful. Yeah, dreadful. dreadful is the right word for it. Everything leading up to it, the the cross wasn't even that good. Uh, Cessna does amazingly, yeah, amazingly well to to win that there. Yeah. The fact that Wesley who could have easily let that ball go out for a Southampton throw and decided to keep it in. No, no, no. Yeah. He tries to he tries to let it go out, but he just should have cleared it. Yeah, like he they, it was clearly not going out. Yeah, I, I mean, we sat with Alfie. Alfie's my cousin, probably like our our best Fulhamish football player, and he sat there and just gave Wesley who dogs abuse for the rest of that game. He <laughs> he really does believe that Wesley who is the worst centre back in the Premier League and on that show, and it's hard to disagree. Um, I'd like to get your man of the matches. For, for respectively, because I think we might have some differing opinions around the table. I'll start with you, Faz. So it's a very difficult one. You know, there's there's some um, there's some contenders in there. I thought Chambers was really good in that in that centre mid position, uh, but I think it would probably go between Kearney and Mitrovic, in my opinion. And if at a push, I'd go Mitrovic. Dom, Callum Chambers, I think. I think uh, although he, he technically going forward, he didn't offer much. I think he provided so much cover for that defence and. Another person I thought played really well was Cyrus Christie. I thought he has not he has played well actually since he's come back into the side. Yeah, he did play well against Liverpool. But I thought yeah he was very good going forward, and we are obviously going to be using a lot more of our width now. 
because we're going to be looking to getting crosses into the box to utilise Mitrovic, Kearney and Sess, and Michelle just going off him. So I thought South Korea did very well down the right. And, you know, I thought even I thought that's the best I've seen Maxime Lamarche on at left-back. Yes. Yes. Well, he got forward, I suppose. Yeah, but if, I, if I'm going to go with one, I think I'm going to go with Callum Chambers. Ben? Um, I think mine's probably between two, and it doesn't make sense to say this because we didn't keep a clean sheet, but I thought Alfie Mawson was absolutely outstanding, and mm. I did think that he offered us some real brawn back there. He won a lot in the air. He was good with his feet. He oft- he when I when I first saw Alfie Mawson signing for us, I went on Instagram, and the first thing I saw of him was him pinging balls from left centre half to right wing, and he started doing that for us, and it really really helped um, the dynamic of the team. I think. Um, but my man of the match is going to be Sergio Rico. Yeah, I thought I he was he was fantastic, and I, I said it on full time. I say it again, like he gave us so many crucial saves. He gave, gave us a lot of stability at the back. His kicking's fantastic. He claims a lot in the box as well. Mm. And this is a guy who, whether you like it or not, and you can at me on Twitter, you can talk to me in real life or whatever. But I think he's better than Bettinelli by some stretch. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's I think. I think you. Without saying it, I think the word to sum it up is a commanding performance. Yeah. I think it gives so much confidence to the to the to the back four in front of him mm-hmm. that that is almost tangible. That yeah. save from Gabbiadini in the first half it's fantastic. is different, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And it also really the fact is. that he gets a hand to that Obafemi chance at the end. Yeah. Where no one's kind of expect as in at the time I just thought the bloke must have scuffed it. But he doesn't. It's a like really, with that, really with good that save. double save, yeah. I can't work out if it's a good save on a second one or it's an absolutely shot, terrible, finish. terrible finish. Because like I, I assume that's just going above the goalkeeper into the back of the net, but somehow somehow he misses. Was it, it. Gab- Gabbiadini? Was yeah. it? I mean, the initial shot is from Armstrong, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart Armstrong had a very good game. He'd had, he had a great game. So, so did, did Mario Lamina. Lamina was excellent. Lamina was so good for like large portions of that game. The, he we could do with a player like that. Sorry? We could do with a player like that. Yeah. See, this is what I'm thinking. When we go and play Leicester on the 5th of December, we've got to play Ndidi, who's like Lamina on like performance in Hearts and Drugs. He's amazing. Like, I'm not looking forward to that. Someone interestingly suggested to me that in Anguissa, with a bit of you know shape and, and kind of coaching I suppose is the word to his game could develop into that kind of player what an Ndidi well uh, someone said Lamina was the I think Ndidi is probably a stretch at this point mm-hmm. but you know a powerful box to box player who who is sort of everywhere in the middle and able to actually you know get the ball out of treble when it comes to it and actually you can see it I I, I can totally see it I, I, and we've seen flashes of it so far this season but for me it's not not enough so far I haven't seen enough quality from him I've seen some bursts of it but just not enough to, to, to get in this team at the moment. I can't see him displacing know, Chambers and Serri. I know this sounds very like a hot takey, but we haven't we haven't got a player like like that. We haven't got a big Lamina, a D and D or Idrissa Ganagay. Like we haven't really got that massive presence in the midfield. Dixon a two. And I think <laughs> and I think that could be our our downfall should we not secure one in January or should we not turn Callan Chambers into the best DM since Daniele De Rossi? Uh Chris Baird. Sorry. He is a bit Chris Baird, isn't he? He's just a <laughs> bit of like a, yeah. a utility man that can do a job in most places. Yeah. Right, well, that's pretty much all of it for the Southampton game. We're going to go a bit more in a bit more depth into Fulham's tactical style and how things are going to change under Ranieri after the break. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. We are here discussing the 3-2 win over Southampton at the Cottage in Claudio Ranieri's first game in charge. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Farrell Monk. Hello. Don Betts. Hello, hello. I'm Ben Jarman. Salut. 
And we're going to look a little bit more about Fulham's style. We had 37% possession on the weekend, which is a shock to the, the system, I suppose, a culture shock for all of us. But is it necessarily a bad thing in the way? And, and what's going to change as we go along? Ben, I'm going to start with you. Well, it's going to be a shock for me because I love watching us in possession. But I think the way every Fulham fan's got to look at it is that we're probably going to try and set up and be more organised than we were under Slavisa Kalinovic. We're probably going to try and break high break intelligently and we're just going to have to wait and be patient with it um, the players will take a couple of games to get adjusted to it but then I think once we have the organisational side of things down and that, some, that squandering of possession somewhat we will then build upon that and get more intelligent and become more expressive with our play I think you saw with Hodgson's Palace last year that as soon as they started to get points on the board and they had a, they had a style they started to become more expressive and I think if we build on this win and get a couple of good points and, and a couple more good wins then we could become more expressive as the year goes on. So we played a little bit more direct at the weekend, in fact a lot more direct, but actually I think we were less long ball heavy than we are were against the likes of Huddersfield for example Dom, you know I, do you expect to see us go more long ball heavy or do you think that we will actually try and keep a passing star just in a more kind of counter attacking manner? I don't think it's necessarily long ball heavy I think we know that to get all our best attacking midfielders into the game we need someone to be holding the ball up there like last season the amount of times we gave the ball to Mitrovic for him to hold up to play in the likes of Kearney Sessegnon last season was was fine and I'm happy for us to do that because if it's going to get the best out of our attacking players then why not do it why play away for the sake of it being a philosophy or the way you want to play when it's not going to suit the players you've got on the pitch when you've got someone like Mitrovic who's one of the best players with his back to goal in the league why not play like that I don't see why we should just because it looks nice, if it's not going to get the best out of our players, why not use it? Farrell, our, our best work at the weekend still came on the floor. You know, we, we you know, there was a lot of hold up play, and that, and that's that's right. And and when the ball came into Mitrovic, he laid it off, and that works, and it worked last season for us. But actually, our two openings that we carved Southampton open came from us getting the ball on the deck and playing football. Yeah, absolutely. And um, but you could say it was a bit kind of like direct in a way because. The first ball out from the defence went straight to Mitrovic. The difference was from the last few games was the fact that he wasn't taking three, four, five touches to play it onto whoever's around him. He knew exactly what he wanted to do straight away and played a one one or two touch pass out and really sort of killed the, killed Southampton. And I think we probably are going to see a bit more of that. Whereas in you know the past past month or two, when the ball has been breaking breaking to us um, and we're trying to counter, we'll try and play like one one pass out into the midfield and then straight on and then on to Mitrovic, and it was getting it was getting stopped and and the ball was coming straight back to us again. Whereas this time it went straight to Mitrovic, not long but along the deck, but you know he had people around him straight away because we were breaking with numbers, and I think that really did hurt Southampton. Hopefully, we can see more of that. On Sunday, hopefully. Agreed. And Ben, this brings me on kind of the next point, which was that on paper it was a 4 2 3 1. Mm. It was actually a 4 4 1 1 with oh. Kearney as the second one. You know, we saw that, you know, Sessignon and, and Scherler were, were deeper than we've seen them in, in, in a couple of weeks. So they were they were much more as, as natural right and left sided midfielders. And Tom Kearney was further up the pitch than I've seen him in a long, long time in a Fulham shirt. Yeah, and it was fantastic to see because I think we've spoken a lot about this on, on previous podcasts and we spoke about it on full time a little bit as well, is that Mitrovic becomes so isolated across a number of games and you look at Huddersfield um, as a whole, he was basically up there all by himself for 90 minutes. He had no support around him until um, Charlotte decided he would go and play as a two. Um, this this weekend was great because we managed to get TC around him a little bit more. Uh, when Charlotte and Sessegnon did push up, they come quite narrow. 
and it meant that we could retain the ball a lot easier. I thought TC was absolutely marvellous that second half and I thought he had a real impact on the game as soon as it started to open up a little bit more. We gave him the space, he drove on, he connected the lines really well, something that we haven't seen from TC this season and we weren't really seeing off the back of him last year. Um, I thought it, it worked much better than, than, it, than it had done previously this year and uh, I think the formation really suits us. Um, it's just nice to see TC having a bit more of an influence on the game and us getting, us getting players around Mitrovic and it, it just makes it so easier to play through the lines and through the other team when you have that many options. Where uh, TC is really, really effective is just relieving that pressure. The amount of times like in the second half and, and you know it, the, it, it, that performance reminded me of what he was like in the playoff final when we went down to 10 men was the amount of times like he was able just to hang on to the ball and bring us forward and take us take us away from our own goal. It didn't really work in the. Like, I remember the first ten minutes of the first half. We the pressure was was quite unrelenting, mm. but that second half he did it a lot more. He was just bringing the ball out, doing little one twos here and there, and actually just hanging on to the ball and just bringing us slowly more and more forward and just relieving yeah. that pressure. That's the side of Tom Kenny we haven't seen really before. The, the side of things where we we had to wait for him to to dig in and really do the nitty gritty that a central midfielder normally does, and we hadn't really seen that before. But we saw it this time. Him fighting sort of like relinquishing that I want to play the best ball I can, I want to look silky smooth on the ball to, okay, I've got the ball, I need to do what I I can with it and do it well and do it quickly. My only gripe with Mitrovic, just going back to the previous point, was just that in the first half, at times he just took forever to recycle possession, but then he got quicker as the game went on. In, is that 4-4 or 1-1 the kind of best way of getting Seri and Kearney into the same team then, Dom? I think, yeah, you've, we've seen that playing... The four two three one is good, but I think you know in the four in the four four one, Serial's going to be playing a lot deeper. But Kearney, we know he's best just around the eighteen yard box, just in in that area, in the sort of playing in in between the thirds. And I think the best times we've seen Fulham this year is when we've Mitchell's had players around him. I think about the second half against Watford, we we should have won that game. I know we were lucky to still be in the game after the first half, but in the second half we were just getting chance after chance after chance. So I think it is something to look at going forward. And we and you know TC. He can't. We know he can have an influence on the game, we, especially in a season which he lost in the playoff semi-finals to Reading, and he was playing basically behind the number nine, whoever it was, whether it was a Luko, whether it was Aite, whether it was just, uh, Chris Martin. We knew that that's where he's most effective. I think this system is going to suit us well. And in a four-four-one-one, it's more defensively sound. I mean, you got oh, you didn't really see much from Sherlock, but you see the wingers giving the fullbacks a lot more defensive cover, and I think that's what we need to do. I mean, I think it's a system that obviously won't, we can't, we won't be seeing it every game because it'll be it's Ranieri will be changing it up. But I think maybe you can maybe you can say we use the same system, but change, tweak it so you've got a different player playing in there. So let's say you play uh, Johansson in there instead of Seri because you want more legs in the in the midfield role. If because you're not going to have the ball, let's say against Chelsea on Sunday, I think I think I'd probably play Hansen over Seri to be perfectly mm. honest so I don't think Seri is going to be that effective in the game against the likes of Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, Barkley whoever's playing in midfield and I think as we saw Spurs do you want to take Jorginho out the game and I think Johansson can basically just shit him out, shit house him out of it because I think that's yeah. the best way, to, best, best way to put it. If, if, if that's the way we're going to go forward the work rate from the wingers has to be exceptional and it was at Leicester we saw that in, in terms of how how hard they worked to get up and down the lines, especially in the four four one one where Mares used to play in the ten behind behind Vardy, and I know they changed that and played him wide in different games, and and I think that's kind of indicative of what Ranieri is about, being able to adapt players to different positions in order to get the best out of them in a certain game. But that four four one one with Mares behind Vardy seems to be the kind of model we're following at the moment. 
but the wingers have to work so hard to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to go back quickly to that whole sort of Mares playing behind behind uh, Vardy, and that would work really well for Tom Kearney in this kind of incarnation of him because what we saw on Saturday was something we haven't seen from Tom Kearney a long time, which was the fact that the amount of times when we had our possession-based football and he was playing that kind of, he would come back to collect the ball and play that kind of quarterback role. Yeah. I don't think we saw that at all on Saturday, which is something in his game that we, we've kind of spoken about in the past that we didn't re- we weren't really huge fans of. And hopefully if he cuts it out altogether, then it really does open up you know, the opportunity that when the ball goes up to Mitrovic, he's already got someone who is an incredible talent around him that we can, you know, he can then feed off and then we could bring our wingers into play. And and yes, absolutely, our wingers in this system do need to work hard, much like anyone else on that field. Um, I think we've got that energy in Sessignon. Sessignon can run up and down that left-hand side all day long. As we've spoken about in this podcast earlier, there are question marks over over Andre Scherler and maybe we can look to other players uh, around. It was good to see Aite come come back into the fold he is quite bright when he comes on obviously he only played he only came on after like with like five minutes to go in the game so really couldn't do much from there but you know he's he's def he's got definite quality and I think he he he's good enough for the Premier League but you know whether he whether Ranieri thinks that if you know is he better than Scherler on the ball not entirely sure is there any other players in this system who should be slightly concerned about their players? We've t- spoken about Scherler. The person that I suppose leaps out is, is Dennis Adoy in a more defensive system where ball carrying from the centre-halves isn't as important. Is his place under threat and who comes in to replace him? I personally think it is because I don't really like what Adoy's bringing to the table this season whatsoever. And I know a lot of our listeners like Adoy and they appreciate what he done for us last season I appreciate it too but I think at this level he'll be found out and in a and in a defensive system that requires you to be concentrated requires you to be measured in your decision making he's not entirely that and I think there's still a mistake in Dennis Adoy in most of the things that he does unfortunately um, so I think he does need to sort of buck his ideas up I don't know who would come in to replace him because if if for example Tim Ream came in then that would mean have to mean Alfie Mawson would have to switch to to move over slightly, um, and I wouldn't want that because I thought Mawson really took that left centre back spot and made it his own on the uh, this weekend just gone. I I don't really know who else we could potentially play there. Um, I th- we do have to take a little bit of a realism pill here in you know when we got Dennis Doyle because. You know, he was up against Charlie Austin, who I can't remember the last time he actually scored a goal. And we did come up against a, a team who are in dire form as bad as as bad as Fulham were before the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, we do have to talk about that. And, you know, relatively speaking, Southampton were as bad as us before before Saturday. So, you know, they were missing their top striker and Danny Ings. And they, you know, although Charlie Austin has, in, has been playing, he's hardly Mitrovic, to be honest. Um, so it was was a bit easier for Dennis Adoy, and they were playing Gabbiardini for, from a, from the right, who's not exactly mm-hmm. a natural right winger. Although he did play o- okay, but okay at best, it wasn't. It was Redmond was pretty good, but you the know per- it. They weren't exactly top they quality players. They top weren't Chelsea. Opposition. They're not. You know, it's going to be much more difficult when we play Leicester. A player I'm actually looking forward to getting back most is Joe Bryan because I thought he would give us some real balance out there. Although Maxime Le Marchand played well, and Dom, you'll probably defend him to the hilt because you love him. I thought Joe Bryan would give us some really nice defensive balance. He gave us some nice width uh, and pace in in wider positions. And I think 
in he's terms got of a demon yeah, delivery. Exactly. A great crosser of the ball. Uh, he's really composed and quite intelligent with his decision making. But I thought maybe uh, MLM could switch into maybe a central Well yeah, I think he's I've always said he should be playing centre back. I've said he's a Premier League quality version of Tim Marine. But is that gonna shift Mawson as well? Is well, that if, the whole if Mawson is I know more obviously the Marshall's left footed, so you'd assume he'd be on the left, but if Mawson can play so well pinging the balls across to the right from the left hand side there's no reason why Le Marchand can't do the opposite on the right hand side I know it's mm. going to take someone to train him into that position but from what I've seen this season as a defender he's uh, Mawson was great I would say on the weekend he was much more of a leader at the back mm. but Le Marchand's been the best defender I've seen when playing centre back this season so for me he'd, he'd slot in and Joe Bryan on the left I know you've got, you got the whole conundrum of who plays what side because it is a big problem for defenders you can't just say oh they're centre-backs so they can play there yeah that's not how it works but for me he's the best centre-back I've seen for us this season because yes he, he's made maybe two key mistakes but he's probably made the least amount of like overall mistakes I mean, yeah, it's just unfortunate agree. for him the couple of mistakes he's made have led to goals is that therefore a, a centre a right-sided centre-back and a centre defensive midfielder as cover the two most important things we look for in January. I don't have a striker. What about Vieta? Kamara? No, no. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> well, no, you, you, say, you say other strikers, but then if you're bringing one of these other strikers on, where you're playing Schürrle, Vieto, Kamara, Freeman, none of them play in the same way as Alexander Mitrovic does. So then you have to totally change the system. So I think we need some form of other hold-up striker. Welcome, yeah, Kevin shit. Davis. <laughs> exactly. Bring them all back. Right, I think just before we get on to questions, there's a couple of things that we would love you to do. First of all, please go and check out our Fulhamish YouTube channel. There's all sorts of brilliant video content on there from our full times, which we do straight after the game at the Old Suffolk Punch on the Fulham Palace Road, where we take a, an immediate look back with a couple of beers on what happened during every home game to Dave Preston's famous on-the-road videos, which will be making a reappearance after Chelsea, although I imagine it's a very short on the road in that case. There's all sorts of stuff. Jack Kelly's fan cams. Make sure you're on there. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're checking out all of our stuff on there. Also, Fulhamish Extra this week will contain many interviews with some Chelsea friends of ours, so they will be giving their lowdown on what is friends. going to happen. Yeah, okay. Friends, the lot friends is probably a, a, t- a touch hard, isn't it? <laughs> They're not really our friends. We don't like them. But yeah, they've got a lot of Chelsea voices on there to, to give us the lowdown on what's going down at the bridge this season under Maurizio Sarri. So the questions section this week has a new sponsor and it is sponsored by the wonderful Putney Pies just over Putney Bridge from Craven Cottage. The finest pies in all the land served to the finest supporters in all the land. And you can get 10% off your food order by quoting the code who ate all the pies at the checkout. You have to shout it in a Cockney accent. Who ate all the pies? Who ate the pies at the staff. Otherwise they won't accept it. But yeah, you get 10% off and you can say Fulhamish Pod, and that, that helps us out too. So you, you get on with that. Um, but yeah, get over there. They have great pies, they have great beers, and they have disco dancing, as Farrell would say, um, until the late hours, <laughs> in the late hours of the morning. So yeah, get over to Putney Pies. Now over to Ben with the question. Okay, let's get straight into it. So from L Wells 94 copyright, um, Wells 94 FFC on Twitter. Did you see genuine improvement in the team's defending or would you agree it was just good luck that we kept it too? And I'd like to throw that to Jack Collins first. It was good luck and Sergio Rico, I think, is probably the the two big answers. Mawson was improved. We still weren't great. Nathan Redmond got quite a lot of joy around the entire defensive unit and that's partly because of the lack of tracking from Andre Scherler. I think that they will continue to improve under Ranieri. 
But yeah, we have a healthy slice of luck and a healthy slice of Sergio Rico to thank for it only being two goals. Yeah, again, I agree. There was a slice of luck. There was a slice of Rico and also their, you know, poor form as well, as we spoke about earlier. I think that what we did defend, we just defended better as as well in the sense that we were a bit more organized. We were a bit more bitey in the challenge. Um, and also we were just better at relieving pressure when it when it was on us. Cool. Dominic Betts? Yeah, I thought there was a, a slight improvement. I know we still conceded two goals, but I think, in my opinion, that the defence seemed more of a cohesive unit and it didn't seem like it was the line of defence, the line of midfield and the line of attack. There seemed to be some sort of link between all of the players. So, yes, I mean, obviously Rico did keep us in the game a lot, but I think, yeah, against a good team like Chelsea on the weekend, if we, play, if we defend like that, especially down the right-hand side, we are going to get punched, especially with the likes of Eden Hazard. I'd like you to follow on, please, Dominique, and answer this question from Harry Riley. Um, and they say, can we expect Ranieri to stick with this lineup against Chelsea or will he live up to his Tinkerman nickname? I think he'll tinker it because if you, the midfield we had, I don't think Seri is necessarily the best option to play against uh, Chelsea. We saw in the big game, I know it was under Slab, but we saw against Liverpool, we didn't play Seri in the midfield, I thought was relatively capable yes Liverpool have that pace I don't think Chelsea have much of that raw pace as necessarily Liverpool do so I would actually argue that maybe playing someone like Johansson in the midfield just to sort of get the get the legs around shit us people out of the game basically is what we need him to do and I mm-hmm. don't think Seri's necessarily a player that's going to be too much effect he may be technically better than Johansson which he definitely is but for me it's picking the best player for the situation for me that could possibly be Stefan Johansson Faz? Uh, I'll go against that I don't think the tinker man will tinker uh, this time around, um, uh, I, you know, I saw enough on on Saturday to 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 warrant that, you know, there was there's no real one bad performance out there, and it would be slightly harsh to drop any any player uh, from that game. So I do, I I would hope that Claudio doesn't drop. I do, I do agree that Johansson probably could do a better job in there, um, in place of Seri, given the opposition. But you know, we're now on form. <laughs> one one from one. One so, from one. Yeah, I, I think we might see Joe Bryan, if I if I'm perfectly honest. A little bit of natural width to counter kind of Chelsea's wide players. And you imagine you'll see Pedro out there on the right and, and you do worry about his pace against the likes of, of Le Marchand. Um that's about it. I, I, I agree with Dom in that I think that maybe a more mobile and kind of I don't, I don't want to say in technical, but you know, someone who's just basically there to throw bodies around is basically potentially something unuseful but if we're going to counter Chelsea and we are going to play on the counter I imagine it might be useful to have someone of Sarri's capabilities in launching those attacks and, and if that's the case then I can see why Claudio would stick mm-hmm. um, I will go to the next one here it's from Chris Hunt at CP49 on Twitter and he said um, what are your thoughts on a dire first 30 minutes can you see our style improving first goal proved that we can still play one touch football and what do we make of Claudio's first lineup? After two weeks with the boys, it seemed just to copy Slav's last lineup, substituting Seri in for the injured Zambo. I feel like this comment is a little bit harsh on Claudio, only for the fact that he has only had about 10 days as a player, and, and for majority of the first team, it's been been three days. But Farrell, keen to get your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, th- the first 30 minutes, I, I do agree, but only, you know, a little bit that it was dire. I mean, a dire is... is is a bit harsh but it, you know there were there were flashes of some good parts you know we you know they didn't really they had like one good chance and um but you know it wasn't really that bad the what what really sort of strikes out to me i wasn't really surprised by the lineup because if we 
if you listened to the the interview with with Mark Schwartz that Dom did um, last week, that he he spoke about Claudio Ranieri and the fact that when he did come in after Pearson, that he didn't really change a great deal, if anything at all, just little tweaks here and there. And he picked largely the same team. And over time, he sort of changed it to more towards towards the style that Leicester became so synonymous with in that in that Premier League winning season. So I was I personally wasn't really surprised that he did change much about the the players and the system around it. It was just little minor tweaks here and there. I think it's a little bit mad to suggest that it's just copying Slav. Like as in, you know, there's one thing playing, you know, we said at Liverpool that that was probably a, a, as strong as an 11 as we had at that time that were fit and able. So, you know, if we was making changes for the sake of making changes, you would have been a bit confused. I think that, you know, for a lot of those players, Mitrovic, Seri, you know, they've only had a couple of days with Ranieri and his methods will take time to infuse. And, and they did look a little bit you know, off the boil when they first started. And, you know, it's going to take time to get used to that kind of counter-attacking system. But actually, as you saw us develop in that game, you saw us you know, start to kick on with that. And that one-touch passing, like I said earlier, getting the ball down on the deck and playing football was where we got real joy. And I expect that that will carry on. And, you know, just because we we might turn into a, a team that sits much more deep than we did before. doesn't mean that we're going to abandon all the principles of the things that have taken us thus far, especially when we have the players for them. It would be, you know, absolutely insane to kind of change us into, I don't know, like a ball, a team that chases wing, wing balls or, mm. or tries to, you know, pass the ball into the middle when we know that Mitrovic is so good in the air. I think we will look to attack the principles of what these players are best at. And he will, and, and a lot of the time for players like Kearney, players like Sessegnon, players like Sherlow, dare I say it, and Seri, to get the ball on the floor and play, you know, attractive one-touch football is very much in the DNA of this side. And I don't think that will change just because we suddenly have more defensive outlook on things. Well, that goes, that kind of goes back to, you know, when when Mark Hughes took over, we saw like such a different style of play, uh, a different sort of team setup to when Hodgson was there. And, you know, that the team reacted so badly to it. And he had the whole summer to, pre- to prepare for it. The team just weren't set up that way. They were so used to playing, you know, organized football, attacking when necessary, defending when necessary. And Mark Hughes decided to change it completely to an all out attack gung ho style style of play and uh, you know as direct as possible and it was it went awfully it was only at the turn of the year when um when the players got together to say like look we can't play this way this isn't how we play and they went back to how Hodgson did it and all of a sudden the, the points came and you know we don't we shouldn't expect Claudio as an experienced manager as he is to com- come in and completely change change the style of play and completely change the personnel. That's what that's what everyone was expecting. Loads of changes, and it's like, oh, we just picked the same team as Slav. But then we we look we as you said we looked at a Liverpool game, and that was the best we played for probably since Watford. Especially because like we did, we we could have gone one and up. Obviously, it's just if is it a goal? Is it not a goal? But I think yeah, what was the point in changing it? As you said, if the, we saw that was our best eleven on paper, and I think. You know, Rain, you can't implement a system straight away. It's not like you can buy the in-game edit on Football Manager and go maximise tactical familiarity. Like, if you, you're best off playing in a system that's relatively similar to what the players are used to, or they're just going to be caused into shock. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Ben, any more for any more? Yeah, we'll do two more. First ones are sort of like combined questions. They're from uh, Cabano on Twitter. Not Lee Cabano. Uh, it's Charles. He said, will Cabano find his way back into the squad under Ranieri and back into the team? And Nathan Vince says, where's Vieto? And then I'll do one more from uh, our world-famous ITK to finish the pod. Good. Um, well, I think Cabano will feature. You know, we, we're looking at players that will stretch the play in, in, in the final kind of 
thirds of games and especially if we're looking for a goal someone that adds a little bit of guile and trickery and and can deliver the ball into the box you think that Cabano will have a shot under Ranieri and if he gets that shot I imagine he will take it because he's a very talented footballer you know he doesn't necessarily offer the same thing as anyone else which I think makes him a kind of specialized weapon in some regards and I think that when when he gets that opportunity it's up to him to take it but I do think he will get a chance under Claudio in terms of Yeto. I just think that that's a kind of I imagine he'll have been playing centrally during the the kind of training days because there wasn't another necessarily recognized striker in the camp and during those and then Mitrovic comes back in and suddenly you're like well he has to play because he's our best number nine so I imagine once the groups got together a bit more and, and trained in that kind of regard we might see Vieto even as that that 10 if Tom Kearney was to touch wood you know get injured or suspended or whatever I imagine that we might see Vieto in that role as well so I think there will be a place for both of them in this squad yeah I've got to echo what what Jack says really um Cabano we he does have undoubted quality whether it's up to Premier League level I think that's up for for Ranieri to to judge we do see flashes of good stuff from him. I think what he he's slightly different. He's not as direct as the other wingers that we have at our disposal. He is a bit more tricky, a bit more sort of tight space kind of kind of player, which to be honest, I don't think will fit us suit our style of play at the moment. But you know, we we do know he can play. We do know he can he's scored the odd goal here and there. So there might be a chance for him later on the season if injuries um take its toll. Dominic? Yeah, with with Luciano Vieto, I think if Ranieri's ever switched to a two-striker formation, I think Vieto is the option that would work best off uh, Mitrovic because he's got that acceleration over the first five yards, which with Sherlock, he takes so long to get to his top speed, which is really frustrating. His acceleration is, is six on Footmander. Exactly. <laughs> but like his top speed is good. But yeah, I think if you were to play a two-striker formation, then I think Vieto running off Mitrovic would probably be the best option. Agreed. Also, I don't know why Vieto wasn't on the bench when Abuka Kamara is still there. It must, still, be an, it must be an injury. He's still coming on. With with Cabano, I, it was really good to see him back in the squad. But also, and I also think he's one of the wingers we've got who is one predominantly a natural winger, but also a winger who can do the dirty work. I think that's going to be important in a Ranieri system. So I think mm-hmm. he will get chances this season. I mean, we've seen Aite sort of come back in, and obviously it was great to see Cabano back on the bench. And I think, I think he, the, both players will have their parts to play this season. Cool. And Last to, one. to finish off, uh, Claudio Ranieri famously said that he'd buy all the players McDonald's when we won a game. So I thought it was when we got a clean sheet. Oh, was that the case? Oh, in that wrong. case, Jack Kelly is misinformed. He yeah. said, "Putney, what, Putney McDonald's going to close he down said, now." He said, "What? What are our players' McDonald's orders?" So, Dom, I'm going to give you Sherla, Faz, your Mitrovic's order, and Jack, your Tom Kearney. There Who, won't be anything left what, for TC. What are they the ordering? Mitrovic has had What are they ordering? Faz, you can go you can first. Start, Faz. Oh, um, so no, I reckon Mitrovic will end up having a milkshake, definitely. He'd go, he'd he'd go for that, and then uh, perhaps a a Big Mac or two, and then a couple of extra double cheeseburgers on the side. Sounds like a good order, Dominic. Don't know. I'm, st- I'm stuck between a McTasty with bacon or a chicken legend. You know, I can't quite work out. I know, I know what Adam Taggart wants because I met him in Putney McDonald's. <laughs> so he got he got a Big Mac meal with then chicken nuggets on top. Lad. So, but Andre Sherla, I'm gonna go for a McTasty with bacon. Good, Jack. Uh, Tom Kenny is having nine nuggets. He can't no. have twenty because he, you know, he's not allowed. But he's he's not going to have six either. I reckon he's a nine nugget man, and he'd also like. I imagine he also doesn't have any dip. Oh no! Because I think he's a no. Uh, no, no, no. Tom Kenny, I like. I love the man to bits, but he's definitely just a big child. 
Like he is, is he going to get like what those apple apple? Yeah, he's going to get the apple the apple things and and a, and, a, and what they called fruit shoot. No, he's not. Tom Kenny is going to be as Fiat Five Hundred Twitter as you can get in McDonald's and have a mango smoothie, twenty nugs, and some. Yeah, and some it's apple. nine nugs. Twenty nugs is too many calories. No, he's, sharing, uh, he's sharing it with Why Abby can't Richards. Why do like a twelve nug in there? Because like nine is not enough, but twenty is too much. Sometimes they do in America. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes that's two twenty nugs. Raw. Yeah, <laughs> Abby. He can share it with Abby. Oh yeah, that is true. Yeah, they might share it. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely spot oh, yeah, on. Yeah, After, yeah, they get the and a side salad. Oh, get yeah, not, sharing food just not a thing. Yeah. If you order it, you eat it. I can imagine them. I can imagine <laughs> right, them. <Smithy. laughs> <laughs> Smithy oh, yeah, but no, but if you've ordered it, I want to eat it. Joey doesn't share Jeff. food. <laughs> I reckon I reckon they're so loved up, Abby and Tom, that they'd end up getting a mango smoothie and going, two straws, please. Oh dear. Anyway, well, congratulations, T C and Abby. We haven't said congratulations for the baby yet, I don't think. Well, thank you very much for listening to this Fulhamish podcast. It's been a joy discussing a win rather than a succession of really upsetting losses, culminating, I think, in the, the Whisper podcast after Huddersfield <laughs> away. But um, it's good to be back on laughing matters and, and laughing terms. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Farrell Monk. Arriva Dirci. Thank you very much, Don Betts. All right. Thank you very much, Ben Jarman. No, thank you. I've been Jack Collins. Please tune in for the old extra episode this week, and we'll see you at Stamford Bridge, you whites. See you later. <laughs> 